0: All right. well, good morning, church. I am glad to be up here uh, this morning. Let me tell you, you guys are in for a dangerous game because it's my first time up here, and who knows what's going to happen. So you guys sit back, and it's going to be great. But no, I I am so glad you guys are here this morning. If it's your first time, my name is Matt. I'm a student pastor here, and um, and it's been such a joy to serve here at Vaughn Forest. If you're watching us online, I know we have a lot of people on vacation and having fun. I hope you guys are doing that, but that this time is is, uh, encouraging to you, and your family. So as we've talked about over the last few weeks, we have been walking through Jesus's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mountain. Where this is found is in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We've kind of taken a passage-to-passage look as we've walked through this series, and so that's kind of what we're doing this week as well. And this week we're kind of stepping into chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew and where we're at Jesus has been talking a lot about what does it look like on the outside to be someone who follows Jesus. But as we step into chapter 6, Jesus kind of gives us the idea of okay, so what's the driving force behind someone who's following Jesus? Essentially, what Jesus has been talking about all through chapter 5 is that someone who's following Jesus, your life will look very different from someone who's not following Jesus. Some of the examples that Jesus gives are, your life would be like a city that's placed on a hill for everyone to see. He says, it will be like your life is like a light in the middle of complete darkness. No one can see anything but you. That's what your life should look like if you are seriously following Jesus. And even last week and a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Adam talked about what it means for us to live counterculturally, to live like our life goes against what culture teaches. So Jesus has preached all these things in chapter 5, and then we get to chapter 6, and Jesus kind of changes gears and says, so because of all that, these few things are the driving force behind what it means to be someone who follows Jesus. That's why this morning the title is The Secret Life, because the driving force behind living a kingdom-minded life are the things that you do in secret. The idea is that your life as a Christ follower will be put on display for all to see. But the driving force behind that is having the mindset that I, as a Christ follower, you, as a Christ follower, cannot be put on display for all to see. So I know that sounds kind of confusing. It sounds like kind of I contradicted myself a little bit, and I might do that later on. You guys just wait. But nonetheless, it's going to make a whole lot of sense as we dive into this. The whole idea Jesus is getting at in the first part of Matthew chapter 6 is that people who follow Jesus should live lives that demand an explanation. What does that mean in your life and in my life in a real, real world sense? It means like people when I look at our lives would ask questions like, hey, why do you live like that? Why do you act that way? Why do you raise your family this way? Why do you not talk about our boss like that? Why do you not say these things? Why do you not go watch these things? Essentially, the answer to all those questions is simple. It's because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, my life should look differently than the rest of the world, than the rest of culture. And In this passage, we get the secret behind it all. Jesus gives us the what. The what is this. Your life we put on display for all to see. But what's the driving force behind that? It's this. The things we do in secret, the things we do in secret, places and spaces that only God sees will drive the spiritual direction for our life. So I've got a couple of observations And a couple of applications that I think we can take away from this passage this morning that I think will be really beneficial this morning. So the first observation is this. When Jesus preached through this sermon, when Jesus is talking to his people about this, these habits that he talked about that day, they're not options. They're absolutes. Let's look at some text this morning. Matthew chapter 6. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do blowing the trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. But I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward that they will ever get. Jesus speaks to this group of people, and he's talking to this huge crowd. He says, when you give to someone in need. Next one, verse 5 says, when you pray, Jesus says, Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Verse 7. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Verse 7. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. Are you picking up on the habit too that Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying when you do these things. Not if, not sometimes, not maybe, not if you feel like it. Every time Jesus is talking through one of these habits, he's saying, and when you do this. Now, for me, I don't want to let shame creep up on myself when I hear this, because what I know is this, that giving consistently, praying consistently, fasting consistently are hard habits for me to develop. These are not easy things to fit into your lifestyle, but I think when Jesus is saying this, I think that's the point. Nowhere in Scripture has it ever said that following Jesus is going to be really easy for you or your family. And so when Jesus is saying that these habits, these praying, these fasting, these giving habits, they're supposed to be difficult for you. Why? These habits are supposed to drive you, force you, give you a chance in your life to completely rely and trust in God. When I'm giving sacrificially, I give and say, God, I know this is what you've given me whether it be my time, my resources, finances, whatever that looks like. God, I know that you've given this to me, but I trust you enough that when I give back to you, you will still be faithful. God, when I'm praying, when I lay everything about me on the table, God, here's my sin, here's my brokenness, here's where I'm good, here's where I'm not so good. Everything about me is laid naked and exposed before a holy God. God, here's everything I am. Yet God, I still trust that you're faithful to answer my prayers that everything will work together for your good and my good. When I fast, I say, God, I've taken away something in my life that has a lot of importance. Some people do food. I often have to use my phone when I fast, so I set that apart. God, when I have to focus on something, I take that away so that I can more so focus on you, so that I trust that you are good, even amongst all the distractions and things in my life. When we do these habits, they're not easy. But Jesus said it's when we do them. So if someone who's following Jesus completely is someone who is practicing these habits. Another observation. In the text, Jesus points out three times that there is a secret life of a Christian. There is a secret life of a Christian. Verse 4. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 6. But when you pray, Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Verse 18. Then no one will notice that you are fasting, except your Father, who knows what you do in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Here's the point. People who follow Jesus, those who follow Jesus, will do some things in secret— will do some things behind closed doors that will drive how the rest of their spiritual walk is going. What you do in private, you're praying, you're fasting, you're giving, listen to me, can move things, can stir things in heavenly realms. How you pray, how you give, how you fast, how you serve can change the spiritual trajectory of your family's life. How you pray, how you give, how you fast can literally change your spiritual life, the spiritual life of people around you, and can change the way your family works for generations to come. But you have to trust Jesus enough to get into your secret place and pray and give and fast. And lastly, Jesus doesn't just tell us these things and do it just because he said so. That always annoyed me when someone tells me do it just because I said so. So I know parents in here, that's your favorite line, and children should obey their parents. But as a kid, I didn't like that idea. I didn't. But luckily, Jesus doesn't just tell me just to do it, just do it. Jesus gives us the why behind the what. Why should we do these things? He says this in Verse 4, looking back at it. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will what? Reward you. Verse 6. Again, when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Next verse. Then no one will notice that you are fasting. Again, except your Father who knows what you do in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. So a couple of months ago, my wife Jessie and I, Moved down here. We started transitioning around December, uh, right before Christmas. And let me just tell you, selling a house around Christmas and a New Year's is a terrible time to sell a house. It's awful. It was not any good. Uh, and so we were really struggling to kind of get some traction when selling our house. And we had shared it on Facebook and we had had our realtor share it and all these things. And then we had some friends who continued to share it, all these things, right? But even after those first couple of weeks, I was like, hey, we're not getting a whole lot of traction on our house. There's been like, One person who's come and viewed it. I was like, hey, you know what really drives the motivation behind things? A reward. Money. So what I did was I said, okay, hey, I put on Facebook, hey, if you share this post to our house, I will give you a reward. If you share it and someone says, hey, because this person shared it, I saw your house, I would like to buy it. I will give that person $500. Guess what happened when I put out $500? In like two nights, 3,000 people had shared my house and we ended up selling our house. When there's a reward on the line, guess what? We get moving. We start doing things when there's a reward. If there's no benefit for me, then why would I do anything? Especially, why would I do anything hard? Jesus specifically says, look, there's a reward for following me. There's a reward for praying and giving and fasting. I think as a global church, we've done a great job of explaining what it means to follow Jesus. That like salvation comes by faith in Christ alone. And that following Jesus is not an easy task. But I think that we sometimes skew the benefits of following Jesus. What does that mean? That doesn't mean you're going to be healthy and blessed and all these things just because you follow Jesus. What it does mean is that Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, and more importantly, Jesus does say he'll take care of you. It's not up there, but even in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says there's no one who has left his family, his job, his mother, his father, his brother, his sister, and that comes and follow me that I will not reward ten times. X a hundredfold that I will not reward over and over and over again. I will bless them infinitely if you come and follow me. So the real question is this. Do we trust Jesus enough to put those things into action? Because he wants to reward you, but it does not just happen. The secret life of a Christian takes work. And so here's some applications for you as we walk away from This text. First one is this. Dedication to Jesus in public takes developing in private. Those that fully trust Jesus are willing to grow in the area and spaces and places that no one sees. In your giving, in your praying, in your fasting. Now I'm going to stop here for just one second and park it for a little amount of time. Because what I have known since I've been here at Vaughn Forest over the last six months, I know that it's very evident that there are a ton of people in this church, you guys, that pray faithfully, that fast and dedicate time to listening to God. And you give sacrificially. How do I know this? I see that in the way that you guys, that our church is able to support people who don't know Jesus people who do know Jesus in the river region, all of Montgomery, and in Pike Road, into all the different mini- mission areas that we have here at Vaughn Forest. And specifically, one of the things that I get to see week in and week out is how your giving, how you're praying, how your fasting affects the next generation. Working with our students week in and week out, Sunday mornings, Wednesday night, all the huge, silly, fun events that we have going on. I get to see how you guys' prayer and support and fasting and giving supports the next generation. So just for that, I want you to see some of the rewards of your praying, your giving, and your fasting. I want you to see some of those things. So last year in 2022, i gonna give you some numbers that we can celebrate. On any given Sunday morning, an average 930, which your students are meeting up on the third floor right now, in 2022, there would be 49 students up there on the third floor 49 awesome smart intelligent bright young people who are willing to study and listen and hear the word of god and also go out into their spaces and places and communities and be the people of god that's awesome but the key to a really great student ministry are really great student ministry volunteers and so last year in 2022 there would be an average of about eight student ministry volunteers serving in that hour eight what I would call superhero-type superhero people, people who are consistently giving of their time and their effort and praying over these students, doing all kinds of crazy, fun, silly things that we do in student ministry. My wife's a fourth-grade math teacher, so I had to make sure she helped me out on this, that I added these things right. But on average, in 2023, the first six months, there'd be 57 people involved in our student ministry on Sunday morning. And let me tell you, 57 individuals who are involved is an awesome staff. I have worked at some places and have some friends in ministry who would love to have 57 people involved consistently week in and week out in their student ministry. That is an awesome number. That is a ton of lives that are being affected for the gospel, affected for the kingdom. But can I tell you how awesome God is? Because things in 2023 look vastly different. So let's look at this. What's happened in the last five months, the last six months of student ministry here at Vaughn Forest? On any given Sunday morning, in 2023, there would be 76 students meeting on the third floor. But like I said, there is a key to a really great student ministry, and that is really great student ministry volunteers. So on average, we'd have about 22 ministry volunteers serving that hour. Sometimes there'd be more, sometimes there'd be less because of vacations and jobs. But these 22 people, they make it work. They make it happen they changed things in the lives of these students. And again, I'm not great at math, but let's add these two together. That's a total of 98 people involved in our student ministry in the first few months, 2023. But that's not everything that's happened. We took our trip back at the end of 2022. Uh, We saw 42 people attend our Strength to Stand Winter Conference in Gatlinburg. And let me tell you, that was a blast. That was one of the first trips that I got to go on with your students, with some of you as volunteers, and it was so incredible. I knew after that trip, Vaughn Forest is special. Vaughn Forest is really different. What's happening at Vaughn Forest, I can't put my finger on it, but it's different. And what I figured out, it's you guys. It's people who serve and pray and give and partake in what's happening here at Vaughn Forest. A couple months later, after, uh, into, 2020, 20, into 2023, 61 people went on our Better Weekend Spring Retreat this past March. That was nuts. That was so much fun. We had worship. We taught. We had a silent disco. We had kids get saved. But even more so, what else has happened? Through the first part of 2023, we have had 14 students say, I want to be baptized. 14 students so far who said, I want to be baptized. And nine students who said, I want to make a first-time decision to follow Jesus. And listen, church, guess what? We're six months in. This is only half the year. This is how faithful God has been, but it's because of how faithful you have been. It's how faithful our students have been, our parents, our volunteers, you guys, to pray over this ministry, to give to the next generation, and to fast and dedicate time to praying again over the things happening here at Vaughn Forest. This is because of the rewards that God will give you if you are faithful to him. Why do I say this? <laughs> Duh, because you let the student pastor speak on a Sunday morning. Because I want you to see there are rewards to, to following Jesus in private, to showing dedication to him. And those are some of the rewards that are happening here at Vaughn Forest. Oh, yeah, celebrate that. That's awesome. The next point. I don't want to keep you here all day. The next point. Following Jesus in public takes practice over performance. Practice over performance. As we look back at some of those verses, in verses 2 and 5 and 16, there was a word that consistently kept coming up. The word hypocrite. Now, we're pretty familiar with this word, whether you've been called it, whether you've called somebody one, whether you hear, oh, that lady's a hypocrite. Ah, nope, that family, full of hypocrites. Ah, that Von Forest Church, not, they've got some hypocrites there, don't want to go there. Oh, that Matt guy, he's a hypocrite. Well, first of all, you're right, yeah, I am. But aren't we all? But in the original thing that Jesus is saying here, when Jesus says hypocrite, what he's saying is actor. Someone who could go to a performance, put on a mask, put on a costume, and act a certain way. So what Jesus is saying, when he says, don't be like the hypocrites, he says, don't act. He says, people who are following my kingdom will be individuals who are performing these acts, but they're doing so in private. They're actually practicing and developing these habits in a way where nobody sees them. The bottom line is Jesus is saying to people who follow his kingdom, Christ followers will be people who are not actors, they're doers. Church, the message that Jesus is saying in this text is stop playing games. Stop acting, stop performing. I know in my own life, I want to perform my righteous acts for all to see. But Jesus says to the hypocrites, He says, listen, they perform, they pray, they give, they fast, they do all these things to make sure everybody else sees what they're doing. But the only reward they will ever get is the praise of men. Church, our culture pushes this idea that the the best praise you could get is the praise of your peers, the praise of all these different people in your life, but church, the, what Jesus is saying this morning is the best praise you can get is to know that you're honoring God in these habits you're developing. The best praise you get is to know that I'm honoring and glorifying God with everything that I do, both in public and what I do in private. Can we commit to that? Not for your, just your sake, not so that you can be a good little Christian, but so that you in your life can give honor and glory to God in what you do in private. And we know this idea of practice because goodness knows we could have a million minivans and it still would not be able to get all your kids to all the practices and do all the things that I know you have to go and do. Games, band, This performance, that performance, this kid's other thing, and this kid's other thing, and we forgot a kid. All the different things I know you guys have going on. What's the old stat? Over 100,000 hours of practice at something, all of a sudden you're a master at it? I'm not a master at anything, I will say that. But without practice at a certain thing, we're just trying really hard. And that thing is really difficult for us to do. What Jesus is saying is, we can try to be faithful in giving. We can try to be faithful in how we pray. We can try to be faithful in how we fast, but unless these are practiced, developed habits, you're just trying really hard and we stop trying at hard things. But habits are built into our everyday life. Dedication to Jesus in public takes practice over just performance. Last point jesus followers focus on being better before bigger better before bigger so a little bit about me real quick the first job i ever had i was 15 years old and i thought it was the greatest thing to be 15 and have a job and some of you know the place where i worked because it's near and dear to your heart i'll put it up on the screen for you the lord's chicken isn't that good isn't that good I love Chick-fil-A, always have. I love their, I love the memories I have of people working there. I I love the business model that Chick-fil-A brings. And I also love the manna from heaven that we get to call Chicken Nuggets, church. I love it. Chick-fil-A is awesome. But when we're going through some training videos, this was a principle that Chick-fil-A has in their business model. So it's one of our core principles when we were training to work there on being better before bigger. I've heard other pastors share this story because it's a pretty common story, and it was shared with us in these training videos as we talked about being better before bigger. And it goes, the story kind of goes like this. that Back in the late 90s, mid-90s, Chick-fil-A is booming. They've kind of moved out of just being in malls, and they're kind of developing some freestanding locations and things like that. Cash flow is great. They're selling chicken nuggets hand over fist. Things are really good. But all of a sudden, in the late 90s and early 2000s, another chicken company decides, hey, we want to try to challenge Chick-fil-A and impact their bottom line. So what they started doing was buying up property and building locations as fast as they could. That company is Boston Market, which is kind of like healthy KFC, if that's a thing. (laughs) So Boston Market starts to kind of do this thing where they're impacting Chick-fil-A's bottom line. So Chick-fil-A has a lot of meetings about this. And in one particular meeting... They share with us in this training video just the story of it. And I said, there's tons of vice presidents and analysts and junior analysts and interns. There's a whole boardroom full of people discussing what are we going to do so that we continue to raise our bottom line, so that we continue to not be as impacted as Boston Market, and beat them and lead them, I guess, in the chicken race. What are we going to do? And they're arguing and talking, and there's numbers thrown out and all these things. At the time, CEO Truett Cathy smaller, older man, super wise. Stands up, kind of slams his hand on the table, get everybody's attention. And he says, essentially this. He says, as a company, we've been at this for a long time. And one of the things we pride ourselves on is being better before getting bigger. Because if our product, if what we have now is better and the best that there is, then we'll have no choice but to get bigger. Our consumers will demand that we get bigger. And so for the last 15, 20 years from that story, what's happened to Chick-fil-A? I know over the 2020 to 2021 season, one of the best financial years they've ever had in the midst of COVID. Most of you this week, myself included, ate at a Chick-fil-A or consumed some sort of Chick-fil-A product. I would dare say that not a whole lot of folks in here ate from Boston Market this week. Why? The decision that Chick-fil-A made to, to commit to being better before being bigger, it impacted them, not only for that bottom line, but it impacted their company for the, for the past 20-plus years. So what does this mean for us in a spiritual sense? Other than that, you know, God's gift to us is Chick-fil-A. It means that in your spiritual life and in my spiritual life, Getting better has to be more important than getting bigger. That what God's given you right now is better than the next step. That what God's given place in your life right now is better than what's going on next. I know in my own life, speaking personally, I want to step up in the next, the next little prong on the ladder. I want to always keep moving up. But what I know from this text and from Scripture is that why would God trust me with bigger if I'm not better with the little things? If I'm not faithful with the little things he's given me, with these seemingly small, secret habits, why would God trust me with anything bigger? If these habits are not fully developed in your life and in my life, why would God trust us with bigger? Church, this morning God has invited you to honor him in these ways, and how you give, how you pray, how you fast. They are the spiritual driving force behind how your walk with Jesus will go. To worship him in your secret life. And you do so by how you will commit to developing your spiritual walk in the dark so that he can display you in the light. To commit to saying that that following Jesus will be be more about practicing righteousness than performing righteousness. And that getting healthier and better in your journey with God will be more important than just being bigger, than just the next important big thing. Culture wants us to give into and be driven by the applause of men, the applause of this world. It wants your attention, it wants your desires. But hear the words of Jesus this morning. That if we are diligent in the secret life spiritually, God will reward you in ways that you cannot even think of. Will you pray with me this morning? So God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. God, I pray that this week you will give us clear and important moments where we can practice these secret life habits. God, you'll give us moments where we can pray. Give us moments where we can give. Give us moments where we can fast and commit to you. God, I pray that we will do all this for your honor and your glory, and that we will see the rewards that you have for us at least asking your son's name. Amen.